It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Oh, what a week it has been. Forward progress in place is the cross-section of sports and race, and those elements come racing forward. Pun was not intended. Uh, every <laughs> single time we get together. Morrison Jackson, and uh, a little bit later, we'll talk to you about uh, the first black face that found its way, earned its way, to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh We'll get into some shenanigans in Philadelphia that get to a whole nother level sometimes. Uh, But let us begin with, honestly, uh, the NFL needs another top story, don't they? It's not, (laughs) they just don't have enough, Kurt, going on. Um, But it's a bigger than football conversation we're about to have. Uh, One of the very first things when word came out that Brian Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins was uh, taking up a lawsuit against not just simply the Giants, but the entire National Football League uh, about the process of becoming a head coach and specifically within the search process of being a part of the Giants search for a new head man. Um, The first question that hit me, not my question, but a question that came to me is, does he ever want to work in the NFL again? Right. So it wasn't about the right or wrong of it. Mm-hmm. It was the reality of it. Right. And Coach Flores, I didn't get to know personally in his time in Miami, but everything that radiated from him um, one of the chief things I could hear every week was a level of pragmatism that really has to happen when you become, as you've said many times, the CEO of a football team, (laughs) which is what happens once you uh, elevate into that space. Uh, My reaction was really simple. Um, Brian Flores doesn't strike me as someone who's bluffing. (laughs) That was that, that there wasn't going to be, he knew exactly what the possibility could be on the end of such a thing. And by the way, it wasn't like they dilly dallied, held on to this thing for, you know, a few days before the Super Bowl. Like, this is all fresh. This is all right now. And he found out some things that he's certain of, or he wouldn't put himself in this position. That's at least, I'm, I'm comfortable at least saying that you probably know more. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he was fired from the Miami Dolphins, like you mentioned a little bit earlier. And uh, a lot of people thought that he, why was he fired? Um, you're in a production-based business. That's what we call the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't produce, um, you are not compensated for your production. That's as a player. But what about as a coach? I mean, here's a guy that had a team that lost. Uh, they, they start off one and seven, Jax. Right. 
and then they go on a nice little winning streak to end the season. They finished the season above 500. This was a football team, Jax, that was obviously, um, you know, was obviously going in the right direction. Now, maybe it was in the direction that Flores wanted, but it wasn't the direction that maybe management wanted. And so I thought that he was fired and it was unwarranted. And then he goes through the process of the coaching hiring carousel. And obviously there is a Rooney rule where teams must conduct a minority candidate search as well, an interview. And through this process, and I think, you know, over the last couple of years, it's to a point where you say, you know what, enough is enough. I, I can't keep my tongue. And I, I do want to, you know, his comments, from, uh, one of the statements that he released uh, this week, uh, I just wanted to read it here. Uh, and I, I quote this from Brian Flores is, God has gifted me with a special talent to coach the game of football, but the need for change is bigger than my own personal goals. In making the decision to file the class action complaint today, I understand that I may be risking coaching the game that I love and that has done so much for my family and for me. My sincere hope is that by standing up against systemic racism in the NFL, Others will join me to ensure that positive change is made for generations to come. That was Brian Flores. And it goes back to your point, Jax, right? What did you just say? Yeah. For someone to bring this up, th this ain't about money. This ain't about uh, trying to get my name out there. This is, to be honest, sometimes career suicide. Because now, you know, what team wants to bring in a Brian Flores when you see all of this? Now, I hope that this doesn't distract from people or other organizations to bring in a good football coach, but it needed to be said. It needed to be done. And now I want to see what happens now, because there's some just some evidence out there now that, um, you know, Coach Flores is talking about that needed to be heard. And from the people who I've talked to in the last day or two, Jax, um, this is something the NFL is going to have to figure out because there has been, I believe, some practices that just should not be happening when it comes to the hiring process in the NFL. The NFL, the New York Giants, the Dolphins, the Denver Broncos, all named in this suit from Flores for racial discrimination. Speaking specifically about the Giants interview, he noted that uh, – I mean, he didn't mince any words. He called it a sham. Yeah. It's just uh, that, that including the Rooney Rule, which is in place to make sure that minority coaches, specifically black coaches, are interviewed in every head coaching vacancy. And he saw this particular case, particularly with the Giants job, um, that uh, this is a box that gets checked. And yeah. it's felt like that for years. And that's not to say that the the essence of the rule isn't awesome. Right. But it, what's, what's it led to? Where do we stand in 2022? So either the league has to say to itself, we have uh, we, we don't have a, a, a an elite pool of coaches and coordinators that are black men right. in this league. 
of 70% black players. <laughs> Let's just for a moment say that that's the case. What are you doing about it, NFL? Where's the development? Yeah. Where's the identification? Mm. Where's the where's the pool? I mean, what what have been all the rumblings about the new Raiders head coach? Right? Mm-hmm. That, that that Josh McDaniel was protected from a bad job. Like, don't there, there'll be a good job. Don't you don't have to <laughs> you, you you had an absolute debacle in Denver. Yeah. But we'll but the but but the mechanisms are in place to keep everything greased for you to get there'll be another opportunity as we were kidding, I think last week. I mean the rotations in all of these leagues now, I mean, it just feels like it's six to eight guys. You don't make the playoffs, you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? Oh, most definitely. One year, two years, <laughs> three years, it don't matter. Right. But you don't, it just doesn't feel like the same thing is in place. Um, and then the I, second chance opportunity, the next opportunity has also been extremely rare. It's, and, and for me, I, I know where sort of the root of this is. Um, and I've, I've talked about this before. It goes all the way back to maybe high school, even college. And and honestly, when you look at the black coach in college football, because I think the, we see the NFL, but I said there's only 32 teams in the NFL. There's 130 <laughs> Division One college football coaches. And if you want to look at the numbers there, I think it's even far worse than the NFL. Because it it really starts with the position that puts you into in line to be a head coach. See, there there aren't enough offensive coordinators who are African American, who are black, and so when coaches the coaching cycle comes up, what's always talked about, Jax? Oh, we're looking for an offensive minded coach to work with our young quarterback or to work with our offense we don't have enough guys who are in that position to where they can step up and go to the next one. See, when you, the, the stereotype of the black coach in the NFL is always, he's a former defensive coordinator. He's hard nosed. He's aggressive, sort of the angry black man syndrome, right? Think about it. I mean, the only one we got left right now is Mike Tomlin, former defensive coordinator, Brian Flores, former defensive coordinator. Right. One of the guys who is uh, interviewing for jobs, uh, Rams defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, former defensive coordinator. We don't have that offensive guy because a lot of them aren't put in that situation. And look, I, I get it. This is a fraternity. This is a good old boy network. This is something in which um, I, I would say this, Jack, three weeks ago, you had a coaching tree of the Rams head coach, Sean McVay of the Green Bay Packers coach, Matt LaFleur, and the San Francisco 49ers coach, Kyle Shanahan. These are all buds. These are all best friends. They're all head coaches now, but they were all on one staff. So when these coaches go on to the next step or they go to get that head job, they just hire their friends. And so that to me is something that I understand. I get it. If I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to hire my buddy. But it does push the African-American, the black coach down the totem pole a bit 
And now they don't get that same recognition or don't have that same legitimacy to get a true shot in the interview process of getting an NFL job. So this class action suit from Flores begins with the smoking gun, right? Like it's a text from his old boss, Bill Belichick. Oh yeah. BB. Who texts the wrong Brian. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Brian Dable and not Brian Flores. Yeah. Which (laughs) they're all on his phone. Right. Right. But that means that three days before the interview Flores is going to sit through with the Giants, word had already started trickling through the grapevine right. that the job was filled. Not with Flores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with Dabble. <laughs> and Flores had to sit through this interview. It's Joe Schoen's the brand new GM, right? Yeah. And, and you Bill Belichick, who's the former longtime defensive coordinator, Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator right. with the New York Giants, has a ton of ties there. He knows the Mara family very well. So he kind of already knew. And so when Brian Flores in this text message to Bill or from Bill is saying, wait, 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 are you texting the right Brian? Because I got an interview coming up, but if they're high on me, then oh, Bill Belichick, I'm sorry. That that that's a that's that's a damning text message, Jax. Yeah, yeah. Let me apologize, Joe, uh, Joe Shane. My bad. Yeah. yeah. But but you're you're sitting there looking at a, at a, at a high ranking official from a beyond historic organization, right? A, a key shield organization, right? And you already know you don't have this job. The 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 he he calls it does Flores humiliation, disbelief, and anger as he's going through this the process. Um, right. It's it's you know that's as he walked out that door, he, he just you, you clearly get from a point to where you've had it to the point to where you'll put it all on the line. Um, that's, that's something else. Yeah. Um, and, and then he reaches back to 2019, um, when he met with the Broncos and then general manager, John Elway, CEO of the team, other members of the organization, um, his folks showed up an hour late to that interview. Like he's opened this stuff up. Oh yeah. Said they all looked disheveled. It was obvious they've been drinking heavily the night before. I mean, he's, he's opened the door on all of this. And as he noted, I still want to coach in this league. I know there are others who have similar stories. It's hard to speak out. This is bigger than football. Mm-hmm. It is. And seeing other people um, talk about Colin Kaepernick, obviously his name has come up uh, since this lawsuit has been brought on by Coach Flores because – these are guys who are now taking a stand. Uh, enough is enough, right? We know, obviously, Colin Kaepernick's stance was a little bit different, and, and his tactics were one of getting attention that became very political. This is a little bit different in the fact that Brian Flores understands what's at stake. We've talked about it. He is going to give up something that he's worked his whole life for, be a head coach. Just said, hey, this is my gift. and 
to be fired in Miami the way that he was, and then to now go through the dog and pony show of, oh, interview here, and this team wants to interview. And I think we've all been to interview processes where you kind of already know I'm not fit for the job here or they I'm not a real candidate. They're kind of just checking the box. I've been through those processes. I, I knew, but I wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt of me knowing, you know, I'm going to go out and do my best and, and move forward. And then hopefully hey, it works out. If not, then you move on. But this is something I think that the NFL has had going on for a long time. And Coach Flores, Brian Flores is bringing it, bringing the attention to it now because this is a lot that's going to open up. And it just talks about the legitimacy of many of these interviews and the interview process in the NFL. It's coming back to the Rooney rule all over again. I mean, we're still in this cycle and there's still only one black coach in the NFL. This thing is, man, you keep turning the pages of this lawsuit and it's something oh, we can't let sick. the Dolphins off the hook before we wrap this thing up. As Flores claims that uh, Stephen Ross said he would pay him $100,000 for every loss the team had in 2019 um, so that uh, they would have the best draft position. And that he was actually mad over the, the five victories that emerged that season, <laughs> believing that it would compromise uh, their position. And then the, the tampering accusation after the 2019 season. Yeah. It's a lot, man. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> you see? It was Tom know. Brady. Try to get Tom, Tom Brady to come to Miami. Exactly. Like, hey, you know Tom. You've been there. Get him yeah. to come here. Get on and my just... private yacht and see what happens. And it, it this is – listen. But the, those are strong, has... strong allegations, Jax, regardless. Big of, ones. Big these, ones. These are strong. Regard, I mean, even if, if they're he has his receipts, not, this is a problem. That's it. I mean, that's, that's – This is a the, problem. The disconnect between owner and coach. Coach wants to do one thing. Owner wants to do another thing. And I get it if you split amicably, but to fire him because you say that he's not getting the job done or we have to, that's to me where you kind of scratch your head. I think he's done. He did a great job with what he had to work with. And especially now, if you had an owner who's meddling saying, I want a better draft pick rather than winning football games. This one's going nowhere. No, yeah, it's just starting. This, this, yeah, no, no, we'll we'll keep we'll keep our fingers on the pulse of this one. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Philly fans, as you and I both know, they're special. They're mm. they're unique in their way to uh, disrupt, uh, to express their disdain. Right, went too far with Carmelo Anthony. We'll discuss it when we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. It's Morrison, it's Jackson, and I have been in Philadelphia for some of the most raggedy fan moments ever. <laughs> I mean, right. I've watched, I haven't, listen, I, not, not you know, cheering Michael Irvin getting, you know, hurt on the turf or yeah. booing, booing Santa Claus. I'd miss those. But I remember, mm-hmm. I, was, I was in Philadelphia for the All-Star Game. I believe that was 2021. And uh, then Destiny's Child, <laughs> led by Beyonce, was okay. a halftime performance. Yeah. And they, just as a part of the performance, they had on uh, they had on Lakers gear. 
<laughs> I mean, they just pulled them. A whole performance. <laughs> they weren't wearing Philly gear, which I'm like, you know, be a little I get it. where you are. No right. Place, I get that part. Right. Boo Destiny's Child, the whole act, like the whole <laughs> act, let them have it. Um, dur- during the finals of that year, um, I want to say, I, I, you know, I can't even tell you what game it was game two or three because yeah. the first or three or four because the first two were in los angeles uh iverson had that great game one and then the lakers yep. went on and won four straight for the title and kobe's high school jersey uh-huh. and there was a straight kick game like i've never seen before that dude was popping his collar and had the jersey going and and then i never saw the guy again like i just he just tumbled <laughs> into the humanity and. And he, he he caught some boots, you know. Uh-huh. I, I've heard some atrocious things said um, from the front rows in yeah. in their basketball and hockey facility. But the last week, it went to a place that was not um, acceptable. And right. we've watched Carmelo Anthony play in this league for uh, nineteen years, right? And I can't think back to the moment, nor did I try to go back and look. So Twitter sphere, get off me. <laughs> I just <laughs> look right. at the way that he spun and pivoted toward a fan. Right. Which every player knows that is the thin is the thinnest of red lines. Mm-hmm. But what he heard come out of the, 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 the front rows there, even caught an official. Right, and that's when I knew when, when an official used some spicy words to talk about who needed to get thrown out of the building yeah. when instructing the ushers. Um, that's where Carmelo was in in good stead, and, and to the point where the official got in between Carmelo and a fan and, who thought repeatedly referring to him as a boy right. was going to be something that was going to work well for him or the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. Um, for the young folks, let's historically address this. Um, the term boy as it pertains to talking to black men uh, dates all the way back to slavery. Yeah. And the continued demeaning and um, pressing down of the humanity and the pride of the folks who were enslaved. And then that carried into Reconstruction and Jim Crow and, and Jim Crow everything right. else that followed. Mm-hmm. Referring to grown-ass men. As a boy. As boy. Was yeah. like that was the button pusher, almost as though you would dare someone believe that they were on the same level as you as a man. Yeah. So courtside in 2022 <laughs> to a Hall of Famer, just not he just doesn't have his coat yet because he's still playing. Right. Um, to a proud son of the city of Baltimore. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um it doesn't even take all this that I'm leaning up to uh, it. It Philly has since uh, indefinitely suspended this fans access to the building. There was already a series of things uh, with this individual that were addressed and dealt with. It's one of those chronic a-holes that come in and the joy in their life is trying yeah. to draw attention to themselves in this space um we've heard it from westbrook we've heard it from others uh, about the need 
to get this stuff nipped in the bud. I think the process of it probably went as well as it could. The issue that you could say to yourself is 76ers, you know, this guy's, he's not a season ticket holder. And that's the thing that's challenging for the Sixers mm-hmm. and trying to manage that is that you get to that second market space, right? Where you right. have these companies that buy up a whole bunch of premium seats. And then there's a disconnect of even controlling movement. I wonder how they're going to go about this now, but uh, how did that story hit you when you heard about it last week? Uh, again, you know, as a former player, it hit me pretty tough because uh, there is this sort of, um, I think, uh, feeling of privilege that a lot of uh, fans or people who pay their money to go to go see sporting events, you know, football, baseball, basketball, whatever it may be that they felt like, hey, I own this piece, this space, and I'm able to say and do whatever I want, regardless of the people who are out there uh, playing, who are out there um, on the court or on the field. And the one thing I think of back to my career, there's one thing to be uh, the opposing team, right? The visiting team. I've always loved that, Jax. I love the the, the, the hate and the vitriol that were thrown at you, but it was mm-hmm. in the framework of the game. You know, hey, oh, I hate you guys. I hate the Raiders or, you know what I mean? You guys suck. Yeah, I heard all that. And that's, that's part of the game. I get it. I love that part. But it's when you take it a step further, when you call me out my name in a derogatory, racial, uh, racially deformed kind of way, right? We're talking about when you call me, boy, or you're calling me the N word, or you're saying, go back to something else or go back to this place. That's where we draw the line. And we've seen others do it too, right? Carmelo Anthony was one, but we've seen LeBron James direct officials. Hey, excuse me, let's go. These two people right here, they got to go courtside. Just because you have, just because you're sitting courtside does not give you uh, the privilege does not give you uh, the authority that, or that you feel that, oh, you can say whatever you want. You can't do that. And that's where I think the fans have to realize that. Look, I get it. You can cheer loud for your team, cheer, cheer loud against the opposing team. All that stuff is great. But there is a line that you cannot cross. And uh, there's been times that they talked about, you know, players, families, moms and dads and brothers and sisters, whatever it may be. Like you can't do that. And so I'm glad that Carmelo Anthony, who to me is probably one of the, what you say, cool level-headed guy. I've never seen him blow up like that before too. You know, this is the first time I've seen him say, Hey, wait, hold on. Hey, you draw the line. That That's, that's not it. Yeah. I mean, you have playing incidents, right? Like yeah, you, play. you're getting your scuff ups on the floor, but I mean, oh, like, yeah, on the floor, I'm never like, spinning. I've never seen around him around on somebody was, late in the game. Exactly. Right. That That's the first time I, I know I've, I've seen probably him have to do that. But I mean, this is what we do know. I mean, these are the people who are actually courtside. I don't know what's being said a little bit further, you know, maybe 30, 40 rolls up, maybe some yeah. more, but we, 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 we can't get to everyone, but to see that, um, you know, and it was repeated too. It wasn't like it was just a one-time thing. He he no, that's repeatedly point, kept right. saying it over and over. You mentioned the official said it, and then obviously the crew who was working the game because I was watching it live, and I said, and I want to say it was Iron Eagles, and it's a fan right behind us. So even they heard it. 
And, you know, the NBA definitely has to stand up and just tell people there should also be something that you, a waiver or something that not a waiver, but something that you have to sign and to adhere to the, to the, to the conduct. To yeah, sit no. in certain areas. You, think, you, you know? get it. There's a placard on every seat. Really? Oh man. Oh, that's right around. Yeah. No, this is a simple, this is a simple ejection. It's not, not yeah. hard. Every arena, it's the same placard. It sits on every seat. That's, you know, I call them the star seats. All the, the star all seats. The, oh yeah. The feet on the wood. You know what I mean? <laughs> all the ones that are close. Um, this, this, this character's name is Mike Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tried on Friday last week, uh, to hop on one of the local morning shows, sports talk shows, uh, and, and tell his side of it. Uh, but the investigation, the investigation was clear. And right. Revealed that Murphy kept referring to Anthony as a boy, repeatedly shouting the meeting language at the player, which led to the ejection. But I'm trying to get to his quote here. Uh, here it is. Murphy said of Anthony he comes down the court we're blowing them out in the game. And I say to him, you're a little boy. Let him shoot. Let him shoot. He looked at me. He smiles. I think he goes down to the other end of the court. He comes back down. And I say, let him shoot. He's a little boy. And he lost his cool out of nowhere. So regardless like of mer- ignorance is, is not your redemption. So even if even if we buy that, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sure I totally do. Um, you still are in a triggering spot, and you know, off you go. Like you gotta go. Right. Like the usage of the word boy, as we noted before, is going to be troublesome for black men. Historically, white people describing black men as a boy to just get them first off equal footing is not something that's going to be tolerated. Yeah. As a matter of fact, <laughs> the old term, them fighting words, like that's, don't be surprised if somebody gets froggy in those moments. But uh, again, it was really important um, that the arena security and, and the team officials, I mean, really wasted no time right. uh, intervening in this space and, and, and getting this, this all cleared out. But uh Man, oh man! I mean, we don't want to have another situation like we had a long time ago in Detroit, right? Because, I mean, I don't know the kind of day that maybe Carmelo Anthony was having, but to your point, there is some words that can ignite some things that are going on. We don't know what kind of headspace some players are in. You know, maybe having some family issue, whatever it may be. Exactly, but they know the heckling and the trash talking is coming, or. Or the booing is coming, but man, when you take it a certain lines, you're gonna cross. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> then all of a sudden, now you're in a situation, and you know, obviously, fans, you know, they, they get a chance to have some uh, courage juice. They get some, uh, have a couple beers in them, and they start just out there, just saying what they want to say. And is it? It's not right. And I'm glad that you know somebody stepped in and handled that because we we've seen things can go a whole different way, Jax. Right. If Carmelo Anthony would ran into the stands to grab this person, he would be seen as wrong. So to have, to me, the, um, I would say the, uh, the fortitude and understanding of, you know what, I'm just going to get the people that be, I mean, that be to go handle this. Because if I handle it, I'm going to be seen as wrong. Right. Think about it. If he goes into the stands, we're having a different conversation now. We're not talking about the fan. We're talking about, wow, Carmelo Anthony went in the stands and went after a player. And you know how, some people will try to spin it as if, oh, angry player, 
we need to have the, the players think that they can do anything. No, this is what happened. He handled it the right way. And I wish all these incidents went the same way, like this, the way that the, the way that it was handled by Carmelo Anthony. And Sixers fans couldn't help themselves. It, it continued, by the way. There, there was more. Now, this is totally Sixer fan right here. <laughs> so shortly after uh, the game was over, Anthony's making his way around the baseline and, and headed to the tunnel area near the Sixers bench. Uh, and this time a fan said something about Anthony's ex-wife, Lala. Yeah. yeah. I knew that <laughs> so, was coming. <laughs> yeah. The, you, well, that one, I you know, that's mm-hmm. where Philly fans tend to go. Right. right. They find that button. Like it, it, it can get harsh and it can, it can be profane, but they, they do find that special button sometimes. And uh, and Joel Embiid broke up that altercation. So, uh, just man, I I tell people all the time it's a it's a different place when you're dealing with these Philly fans. But <laughs> yeah, man, you you would have think that they thought that they've won uh, multiple uh, you know 15, 20 championships the way that they are for their sports teams. Man, they they go. They, I mean. You don't like it, but man, they do go hard though. <laughs> I'm just like you just gotta know when to reel it in. When it, when it stays, you know? I think people believe, including Murphy, they believe that's their job. Yeah, like their their whole <laughs> point of existing is to get into the head of the yeah. opponent. Mm-hmm. It's not cheer for your team. Show up, have, have an home. Italian sausage, <laughs> drive home safely. Yeah. Let's take a break. When we come back, Money Mayweather spending that money. Mm. But on the round and round, the Super Bowl of racing. Going to have some Mayweather juice on it. Let's get to the deep end of that pool. And it's big old money pool is what it is. When we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Thanks for hanging with us all the way through Forward Progress, our Black History moment in just um, a moment. <laughs> but first, we jump inside uh, some news surrounding uh, Muddy Mayweather and basically this Muddy Team Racing mm-hmm. and their attempt uh, to get into the Daytona 500 uh, this very month. Um, they got a driver with the 50 Chevy. I like the, you know, the 50 car. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get my NASCAR uh, parlance <laughs> in here. Kaz uh, Agral uh, will be the driver. Uh, there's some qualifying that's going to take place on the 16th. And then the race itself is, is on the 20th. And listen, if you're going to get into it, uh, get into it. So uh, TMT Racing is 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 ready to roll my man and a matter of fact uh i believe we'll, we'll hear that that the big race right here on the sirius xm platforms but um it, it's they're going to attempt to be in some select races this season uh with this 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 money team racing and why not go for the big one right off the top huh <laughs> yeah you gotta get your name out there um you know obviously floyd mayweather one of the greatest boxers of all time um, just finding a new space, a new avenue. You know, when you're a retired boxer or retired athlete in general, you're always trying to find what's that next challenge. You know, what, what what's the next thing that I can get my hands on or what can I touch and see if I can have some greatness through that. Um, and I know the space of NASCAR is something that 
probably excites him. Um, and because not only is it visible to have that TMT, right, the money team sign on, on, on a car, but to have that notoriety in a space that maybe he had never been in before, right? This is a space that uh, a different fan base and his, his resume has will speak for itself, but maybe you gain more fans, you gain more people to do their research on who Floyd Mayweather really is and the boxing champion, the undefeated champion, by the way. Um, but then to have, I think, um, you know, his, his, his name image, his likeness in NASCAR, bring a little showmanship, right? A little flamboyance, you know, bring a little, a little arrogance to, uh, to NASCAR, something that before, did you want to watch? Probably, you know, it's, it's, it depends on where you are in the country. You know, it's, it's NASCAR is huge in some areas, not as much as others, but all of a sudden you tell me Floyd Mayweather's got a car, you know, I may, I may turn on the dial for a little bit just to watch the money team drive around in that 50 car. Yeah, Growl is a young driver, 23 years old, has made uh, four Cup Series starts, three of which uh, came in uh, uh, with another racing team last season. <clears throat> but uh, he has had some success at the Daytona International Speedway, so they're tapping the right guy. His lone uh, uh, NASCAR National Series victory came in 2017 in uh, the opener there at the track also made his Cup Series debut at Daytona in 2020, uh, then driving for the Richard Childress Racing Team uh, in the number three car. Mm-hmm. Trying to, try to stay in it right now. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love but, it. <laughs> but but all fired up uh, to be a part of Floyd Mayweather's crew. It It's going to be – listen, they're not going to hold back on the dollars, are they? Mm-hmm. They're not going to hold back. Got to go, gotta go all in. You can't go halfway. Don't go half-stepping. Go big step. <laughs> That's amazing. This was uh, the Hall of Famer Bill Elliott's uh, number. That's the last time uh, the 50 was used uh, in NASCAR's top division. But So it's been on the shelf uh, for almost a decade. So mm. they were getting that number out, and it uh, matches Mayweather's total of 50 professional boxing victories, all without a loss. So oh, it all ties it. in. It all ties in. So we'll see if uh, later this month they'll find some success uh, in qualifying and getting in to the Daytona 500. Uh, For the remainder of this month, Kirk, we'll we'll take some time at the end of each program uh, and and enjoy some black history. Uh, And we'll start uh, with your game uh, in the National Football League. Uh, Imlin Tunnell, the first black player in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was a defensive standout, played 14 seasons in the National Football League, and uh, he was a Mac guy. So, you know, I'm already locked in, um, which is rare because cats that go to Toledo, I usually – I got no time for. Uh, but uh, what what a wonderful story. Um, actually broke his neck in college uh, prior to finding his way uh, and the right you – know, and a delayed path to the NFL. And so many guys who played in the mid-40s, right? Yep. Uh, as he attempted to uh, enlist in the U.S. Army and Navy during World War II, but was denied because of that neck injury. He ended up serving in the Coast Guard uh, during World War II, um, but signed with the Giants after the war uh, in 1948, uh, becoming the first black player to do so, and and just shined uh, for the next decade uh, for that team as a standout defender. 
Yeah. Um, was known as the master interceptor, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Nick, Nick, I love that. The master interceptor. Um, uh, another nickname. You know, I love those nicknames, especially, you know, you hear nicknames of, you know, from the, uh, you know, the early in the 40s and 50s. Everybody had a nickname, mm-hmm. right? He was a cool <laughs> Joe. Or just, he was Emlyn the Gremlin. Uh, but you know to be you know football's first black hall of famer um i don't think many people know that um especially Mm -hmm. because football wasn't fully integrated at the time right so you have to understand what he went through as a player um in a time that was not really truly accepted but his talent was accepted and eventually, obviously, football sort of uh, took off to, I mean, you know, opened up its doors to everyone and said, look, we can't have this. But it is guys like Emlyn who were able to break through that color barrier, break through. Um, and sometimes it's been not highlighted enough. And so I'm glad to, to, to hear him and see him because those are positions that a lot of times people didn't necessarily see. You know, we we know more about the first black MVP or the first black um, player to, to to start at quarterback or things like that, because those were positions in which people were like, whoa, you're not supposed to play that position or you, you're 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 the black player. You're supposed to play running back or you're supposed to play, you know, to Emlyn's point. He was a defensive back. And so some of those people, I think, get lost in the. The, the first, you know what I mean? Who was the first? Who was the first to do this, first to do that? And Emlyn was the first to go into the, to be immortalized, right? That's what I call it, immortalized, going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame where that legacy lives on forever. Spent his last few seasons with the Packers before retiring in 1962. Nine Pro Bowls. Mm-hmm. Nine in 14 <laughs> years. Uh, won two championships, uh, 56 and 61. 79 career interceptions, mm-hmm. 79. So no joke when he retired. He he led the National Football League at the time. Uh, was inducted in 67, not only the first black player, the first pure defensive player. Mm. Think about that entire era of just not recognizing one side of the ball exclusively. There were the old two-way guys back then that would that would get the nod. How do you feel about that, bro? Good yeah. Lord. It took till 67 to get a defensive player there. Yeah. It took a while, man. It took a while. But, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I remember a lot of guys, you mentioned a lot of guys went two-way. So you can't say, wait, where, what position were you, this and that. Um, but he was a guy that has that ability to play defense, um, play, you know, punt returns and kickoff returns and interception returns. Uh, you know, just the great research of looking – you know, Emlyn up also was considered offense on defense because even as a defensive player, he turned into mm-hmm. an offensive player when he intercepted a pass or went back to return Word. a punt, something like that. So, you know, it's great to hear some of these stories of, you know, guys who, you know, post-World War II, you know what I mean? Like it was different for players and for guys and to serve your country and and hopefully go out there and and be liked and and, and and join a team and play at a high level, he did that. So I can only imagine, you know, we think about players today 
Now you go to high school and you get a following, you go to college, get drafted to the NFL. A lot different than what guys like Emlyn had to deal with when they were playing the game. We should note, by the way, uh, he was a wonderful basketball player as well. He actually led that Toledo team uh, back before the war uh, to the NIT. And that was, by the way, in the early 40s, that was was the tournament, right? Uh, All due respect. Uh, Finished that uh, college career uh, after his service in the Coast Guard in 46 at the University of Iowa and then signed to the Giants, where, by the way, he ended his career. He, he stayed with the Giants uh, for all, another decade uh, mm-hmm. as a uh, special assistant coach and then uh, a defensive backs coach there at the very end. And, and it felt like just what, what you hear about him and even the way that he talked about his connection, even as a, as a player in his later years, uh, that, that he was old enough to preside over some of his teammates, but still mm-hmm. young enough to be a part of them. And so even that mentality of, of lifting guys, sharing the knowledge, uh, knew that he was probably led or on his way to coaching after that. Absolutely. And how to just navigate through the times as well, you know, navigating through um, obviously certain parts of, of, of uh, stereotypes and, and, and racist comments and thoughts and things that, that, you know, were you couldn't ignore. So to have someone there to understand it and, and sort of how to how we started the show talking about Brian Flores and what he you know is dealing with there. This, this has been around for a long time, but to have someone there to help navigate the players and say, hey, I've been through this as well. I know that was something that was huge as well. Emlyn Tunnell, the first black player to be inducted into the pro football Hall of Fame. Yeah, we, we did bring it full circle, didn't we? We brought, we brought it full circle, man. <laughs> man, oh, man. The, the Flores adjudication is going to be interesting. That yeah. lawsuit and and who may find their way into the class action, part of it with them, possibly with names and whatnot, uh, is going to uh, – it's not going away. And I know that, listen, these two weeks, you know, are supposed to be the wrap-up to – the, the North American sports spectacle, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's going with some baggage with it yeah. this time around. Absolutely. Congratulations uh, to you and your Rams, by the way. I wanna well, I appreciate that. Make man. sure that's said out loud. <laughs> that uh, it takes a village, my man. So yeah, um, I, I can't claim those Bengals. A lot of people think that my uh, Cincinnati childhood <laughs> – uh, is the the only framing, but uh, I can't I can't do it. I'm a Browns guy, it. but I I do uh, I, I'm happy for everybody that's that's in the, that game at the highest level. It's hard to get there. The state of Ohio, man. The state of Ohio. Nah, it didn't even work like that. Anyway, <laughs> we'll stop it right there. Uh, it's always good to be with you, my man. Appreciate you. Oh man, for our producer Pernell Brown. That's Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson, and we'll talk to you next time.